To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? I got a brand new podcast for you. So this week is a great one. I have back on Cole Kramer from Kodiak, Alaska. Um, Cole is just a great guy, great human being, and a great hunter. He spends so much time out on adventures hunting brown bear. He's a guide up there in, off Kodiak, and he hunts brown bear and goats and sheep and in just some of the toughest conditions you could throw out a human being. And um, he... You know, when he's not guiding his clients, he's going on on personal adventures, and we get into that on the podcast. And and for those brown bears, he almost exclusively guides bow hunters. I think he says it in the podcast, but like ninety percent bow hunters. Man, that's getting close to those things. Uh, he, he's just uh, amazing and keeps everybody safe, and just has such great insight into hunting and into bow hunting. So I really enjoyed this conversation, and I know you guys are going to enjoy it too. Sponsor for today's show is Sitka Gear. Uh, Sitka just builds some of the best technical mountaineering gear on the planet. Cole uses Sitka Gear exclusively as well off Kodiak Island. But I know for me, you know, we're getting into late season now, and it's been multiple days below zero and well below zero with the wind chill. And Sitka Gear just keeps me, it keeps me warm, comfortable, and also keeps me safe out there. I can trust it. And once you learn your layering system, um, you can just survive anything. And so this late winter I've been using, um, I like like a lighter weight pant, like a grinder pant, uh, even a little bit heavier as a mountain pant, and then I'll layer underneath it, you know, with their merino wool. And then they have um, these puffy pants. They're Kelvin light pants. And, and they're like an insulating pant, and I tuck that into my gaiters, and gaiters make such a big difference as well. Like wearing gaiters when the grass is all wet or when you're in snow, it just keeps that snow and that water from soaking into your socks and down into your boots. So important, but I tuck those puffy pants with grinder pants with merino wool underneath, and... Uh, and then my upper body layers, gosh, they've um, they've got such a great uh, uh, hoodie. Their their heavyweight hoodie is a great one. And, and then I'll have on, you know, their their puffy vest and their Kelty light jacket. Just does such an amazing job at at keeping me warm and keeping me out there comfortable longer. Uh, extends my hunts and makes me more effective. So. Um, you know, you can just work on it one piece of gear, one upgrade at a time. Sitka has so much great gear, I'm always kind of looking at the next piece. And next for me is like maybe a big pair of mittens. Um, keep my hands a little warmer when it's well below zero. But they've got so many great items. And so I just kind of look at upgrading, you know, a couple things every year. But they just build great technical mountaineering systems. Uh, thanks to their support on the podcast. Make sure to check them out, Sitka Gear. Our other sponsor for the podcast today is Matthews Bows. Uh, I got my Matthews bow, oh, a handful of days ago. It's a VXR. I'm just setting it up now. Um, oh, my gosh. Matthews has outdone themselves. Uh, I got the the 31 and a half inch. They also make a 28 or 28 and a half inch right in there, um, a shorter one. I, I always kind of like a, a longer bow, axle to axle. But, man, I mean, I think that they can't improve it. And then they go and build a better bow. So the Verdicts, I'm in love with it. Shot better than any bow 
that, that I've ever shot. It's my favorite bow of all times that I've owned. That's last year's model. So now I've got this VXR I'm setting up. And, God, they've just found a way to make it a touch more quiet, forgiving. It is like shooting a target bow. Like, that thing just holds like a mother. So I need to get it out at distance. And um, I've been busy hunting here, and so I haven't been able to spend a bunch of time with it. But, oh, my gosh. Um I am in love with this new model. So I'll continue to update you guys as I get it set up and get it shooting out there at distance. But um, what a bow. Matthews is just building the absolute best bows on the planet. So if you're in the market for a new bow, uh, make sure to at least shoot their new bows and compare them to other ones out there. They're they're making such uh, forgiving, quiet, um, consistent shooting bows. So thanks to Matthews for the support on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And with that, I've gone long enough. I'm going to get together with the Eastman soon. Just recorded a good podcast the other day with Scott. Man, we've got some great ones coming up for you guys. So I'll let you know as they're coming up. And um, let's get right into this podcast. It's a great one. Uh, Cole Kramer on Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, can you hear me now? I got you perfect. All right. Yeah. Sorry. I was trying to get people trying to call me and coming in and all sorts of junk. <laughs> <laughs> when you're trying, trying to record on the podcast, it's inevitable that your phone's going to start ringing and emails are coming through and the whole oh, deal. Man. <clears throat> of course. Of course. Yeah, man. Well, cool. Well, thanks for what, thanks for being patient with me. <laughs> oh, dude, thanks for taking the time and being on. I know it's your busy season, and I knew it when I sent you the first email. So I, I just wanted to do it when it worked with your schedule just because I love having you on the podcast and love catching up. Yeah, man. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Like I say, I apologize for the, for the time delay. Ah, oh, we got her done. Um, yep. Man, it looks like an awesome goat hunt you were on the other week. Uh Man, so I watched your Instagram story. It's so good. Like I uh, fired me up to go mountain hunting, but I just love like how you brought a calmness to the situation and real patient. And um, you've been you've been guiding a lot of these bow hunts lately, and I think you're doing so well because you are such a good bow hunter. Well. I have a lot to learn as a personal bow hunter, but, uh, you know, I think in terms of, you know, I've been doing it, I guess, for quite a while now, but, uh, it, what I've learned in the guiding thing, you just got to stay calm and cause, uh, hunters will feed off of your attitude, you know, and, um, if you stay calm, they do a great job of staying calm for the most part. And, um, so that, that's like kind of the big key and yeah, pretty much, you know, I think probably 85, 90% of my hunters now for the past few years have been all bow hunters. So you just got to try to, try to learn each one of them. Each one of them is different. You know, each guy or gal kind of reacts differently. So you try to learn how to deal with them. Sometimes I do a good job. Sometimes I don't, <laughs> but I try. <laughs> um, well, yeah. And you were, you were able to keep so calm. So you guys had a goat that you bedded. And it was bedded off the backside of the ridge. It looked like it was in a really good spot. And then you stalked in with your bow hunter in there. And boy, you know, before you guys came up over the top, you took time to take his layers off. And then right before you came over the top, like you calmed him down again and told him, okay, this is going to be your range. This is here we go. This is going to happen right here and right now. Are you ready? And I just thought it was, um, 
I just know that that calm attitude, like you say, you've been doing it for so long, but you're right. They feed off your energy. So if you can keep calm in the moment and kind of calm them down, you know, and it, it works for me with family and other bow hunters, it seems like then they're calm in that situation. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, with, with that goat, we, you know, our minds were just trying to navigate some steep cliffs before getting over there to where the goats were. And at one point I told them, I think we're going to be about 50 yards from them. And then I kind of switched up my stock a little bit when I got over closer. I said, you know, instead of popping up where I think uh, or where I told him I was going to, I'm going to continue on down this ridge. So I'll be directly over top. Uh, and I then we'll be a little bit closer. So when I did happen to pop up there and looked over, I could see him down there. I said, oh, okay, uh, now he's 20 yards. So, and then there was another goat, you know, 10 yards from us. Uh, a nanny was below us. And so when I, he was just kind of doing his thing and moving his bow. And I said, you know, you may kind of quiet down a bit. And, you know, we have, uh, your, your bill is at 20 yards. And he's like, oh, what? <laughs> so he was kind of surprised that it was that close. And I said, and we have one at 10 yards. So let's just, yeah, don't move. Because a lot of times um, bow hunters kind of forget, like when you have a ridge line there and you're trying to be really cautious what's poking over, sometimes people forget about their bow. And they move their bow around frantically, their arrow, their, you know, whatever it may be, the cam is sticking over the ridge. And, and I noticed when I did peek back over, the nanny was looking up at us, glaring at us. And I was kind of thinking to myself, I wonder if she saw his cam moving um, a little bit. And so, you know, when I peeked back over, yeah, she was kind of staring up at us like, what is going on? Because there was some little bit of wind, so some grass was moving pretty good and whatnot. So she was trying to figure it out still. But, uh, you know, it was just kind of one of those things. I said, you just stay back behind the ridge. And I will tell you when to draw. And when I tell you to draw, draw and step up slowly, you know, so he's not making a big arc. Because so many hunters just don't pull straight back. They have to move their bow dramatically, it seems like. So um, anyway, so that's what happened. She, the nanny got up. The billy had no clue yet. So when she got up kind of briskly, I said, draw, step up. And then he looked up like, oh, what's going on? And And then he stood slowly and said, go ahead, take a shot. So. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, he did a great job, uh, listening and performing a really good shot. Billy went maybe 50 yards and laid down with the rest of the group actually, and just kind of expired. And the other goats decided, well, something's wrong here. So they stood up and walked all walked off. So worked out really well. Dude, that, um, that is so awesome. Uh, the, like you mentioned so many critical things there, like like when you're making your stock, so this is the one I want to touch on first. So when you're making your stock, it just comes down to instincts and feel, doesn't it? And so you make mm-hmm. a plan on the top, and you're going to pop over at 50 yards in this goat. But then you get down there, and you're hidden from the ridge, or you feel the wind, or you look at the angle. And it's like you almost have to listen to those instincts that kind of dictate where you go and where you're going to come over the top. And then – like you're talking about that bow moving frantically as a bow hunter, your, your instincts or your mind is screaming at you to hustle up and get the shot, get into position in those little nuances at the end of a stock. 
they they really dictate whether we get an opportunity or don't or whether we get a good opportunity or don't. But those little nuances at the end of the stock of like moving your bow or how you come over the top or just those little um, those those little micro decisions within that stock, they really make mm-hmm. such a difference of whether you get the shot or don't get the shot. Just sure. those, those little tiny decisions and movements. Um, yeah, I just thought that was so great, like you mentioned, the cam. And that is like a detail. When you're the bow hunter and you're getting the shot, you're almost in this fog of adrenaline. And you're trying to keep oh, yourself sure. calm and make smart decisions. But you as the guide, and been, you've been doing it for so long. Like, I know when I'm bow hunting, but I'm not the shooter, I can think crystal clear. I make such mm-hmm. good movements, and I... Like I'll catch animals, you know, that are to my right or to my left. I'm not so focused on the spot where I'm coming over the top. And so like you do such a good job of being the guide and thinking clearly and trying to direct and and, uh, help the hunter out to make the right moves. Yeah, well, you have to kind of master each point. You know, there's A, there's B, there's C, like getting to each, you know, each spot, you know, of, of your stock. And if you don't, you know, some of them aren't as critical, but in terms of like, you know, just because you got just on the backside at 20 yards doesn't mean that the animal's dead already. You know, you have to continue to, to caution, be cautious about every step of that stock. Right. And, um, it, it's cause I mean, when you think about it, sometimes, you know, you spend an hour, two hours, three hours all day on a stock and, you know, you have to be able to go with the flow of things in terms of you may have to throw an audible in there, but that's kind of about being patient at the top or when you're looking over your stocks and figuring up, okay, what happens if this happens? What's a, a plan of, of attack if something happens and I can't go up that chute or the client freaks out, then what? What do I do then? Um, you know, uh, and or if the animal moves. You know, so I think uh, sometimes guys they go with one set plan and this plan has to work, and that's all they think about. But it, you have to kind of look at each possibility, and if it does change, well, no big deal. You can just throw an audible in there and kind of switch up and 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 go with it from there. But um, yeah, you, you try so hard, and I, you know, I've had guys, <laughs> so my guys I've hunted with me quite a bit and tend to be more honest with me about some of my approaches they know that kind of get micromanaging a bit just because i'm like i i would much rather tell you and remind you so like this does not happen during our stock than me being like oh he knows i should i shouldn't have to tell him to watch his cam or to you know watch his footing here or whatever he'll know and then it happens and you're like crap i should have said something (laughs) so i have to sometimes i just forefront apologize to guys but you know hey here's the deal i'm going to remind you of things that you already know but just in the heat of the moment we forget and i don't mind i don't take offense to something if a guy tells me right before i'm going to shoot hey don't forget to pick a spot or hey don't forget to do this don't forget to do that and it's like oh cool yeah check you know that that just that's one less thing i have to try to remember because yeah i mean we're always thinking about all these different things that are going on and um, that's why i kind of look at it as a pretty good team effort when you're in that that zone of let's let's remind each other on some things here if you see me doing something then tell me you know because we went to so much hard work and labor to get to this point let's not screw it up with some little 
tiny detail that we could have easily paid attention to early on and forgot. Yeah, that attention to detail, working together as a team, like um, and and two, like I like the way you approach that as you uh you preface the stock or preface the hunt by saying, hey, I'm gonna tell you some stuff you already know, but let's let's make sure we hit all these details. Let's work together. You know, when we get this opportunity, we want to close on them. You know, mm-hmm. I I think that's a great way to approach it, and why you're why you make such a great bow guide. And I also like you can be really effective on these buddy stocks, can't you? Where your stocking is two and. I'm sure sometimes you have to leave one guy to kind of make the play on them. But a lot of times with my buddies, I know, like we choose to buddy stock rather than solo stock where then we just decide who's in the lead position and who's in the tail position. But if you work together like that, you can almost keep a calmness about you. And then, you know, you got two people to make decisions and bounce ideas off of and you work together and it seems like – you can make it happen almost just as much as you can by yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and that's the thing because I notice a lot when guiding some of my bow hunters. Some of them are really used to doing some DIY things and some of them aren't so much. And, um, you know, some of these guys want to do it themselves. And so I'm sitting back there as a guide, you know, like watching them stalk a deer or something or I'll get them in close and you let them do their final and it's kind of funny. It's almost like a kid, like turning back to look at his dad, like, am I doing it right? You know, and you're like, yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going. <laughs> and, but it's kind of funny because, you know, after a while it's like, oh, okay, we're, uh, you, they're either maybe not moving quick enough when they should be moving quicker. I think they should move so much, um, you know, slower and quieter when you're behind the ridge line and the animal has no clue you're there. It's like, just get over there, you know, know your, know the limits and capabilities of what, what, you know, what you're in. And, and so, you know, it is definitely a good team effort. You know, it was funny. The only time where I thought, okay, this whole team thing is a little tough. It was over there and not to change places, but over there in Hawaii hunting access here. I'm like, God, these things are turned on. It is so hard with two people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. Those things are tricky with two people, aren't they? Those things are yeah. so switched on. Yeah. But in terms of like, when you have ridges and mountains and whatnot and 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 especially a moving animal potentially it's great to have someone right next to you your buddy or or you know you're in my case me being the guide you know telling ranges preparing them um and just less movements you know because i can be just you know peaked in between two little rock pinnacles or or whatnot just telling him okay get ready you know draw and then he can draw below the ridge line and step up and, you know, because the goat's looking the other way, you know, and and be set and ready, you know, or or if a, like on my bears, if they're walking down the creek or walking out, you could already have the guy pull draw your ranging for them. So they don't have to let down and, you know, do all this other stuff. And so, yeah, good, um, good team efforts always, always pretty clutch most of the time. It is. Well, like you say, being able to range find, that takes a total step away from the shooter. Now he doesn't mm-hmm. even have to focus on a good range. Like, that's your responsibility. And I just know, like, moving as a team, 
it, you're able to slow down much more, and you also like you catch other animals. You you still have the the lead guy, which is going to be the guy that's got to catch him out front. He's going to be the one exposing himself a lot. But as a back guy, mm-hmm. if you can watch the sides, the left and the right, yeah. it's oh, amazing yeah. how many times you catch animal and grab the guy in front and go, "Hey, hold on!" and you save yeah. the stock right there. And so. Yeah, stalking mm-hmm. as a team, it's highly effective. And two, like you have so much experience and so much stalking. You mentioned something about speeds there, and um, speed is so critical on the stock. Like you say, when you're not exposed and you're on the backside of the ridge, I mean, sometimes I'm running to try to get cover oh, yeah. ground so that muley doesn't change beds or so that animal is where I left them or so I can cut them off. And I just know that they can't see or hear me. And so I am covering country, but then as you get close and you're exposing yourself, knowing to slow down to a snail's pace, like even if you're cutting something off, like the closer you get to the shot, the slower you have to move. Sure. But just knowing and being able to read that speed and experience is really what creates like um, all our – uh, experience creates our instincts. And so when you get two guys on a stock and you're both using your instincts and bouncing ideas, it just seems like you come up with the best approach, you know? So mm-hmm. I really like doing it that way too, but, um, sure. Yeah. Uh, really looks like you, you're making the most of your off season work, like over there in Hawaii. Isn't that place a riot and those axis deer? Oh man. What a, what a fantastic place to go hone your your stocking capabilities and just i mean those those axis deer are a lot of fun you know i blew so many stocks and it was like the classic guide scenario of me used to you know telling people how to do things well now you shove a bow in my hand and i'm like oh whoops i guess now i have to make the shot so and of course you know i don't i don't always there's time there i could be practicing more but it's just one of those things it's it's so it's such a mental screw because as an archer guide, you're guiding all these bow hunters, and you almost feel like you're practicing, but you're you're not at all. You're practicing your stalking skills, but you're not practicing shooting, and it's really quite comical, you know, um, for I know me as a guide to all of a sudden the bow thrown in my hands. It's like, here, make the shot, you know, and so – uh, I, I wish I would have had a little more time of shooting and whatnot. Um, I felt like everything else was pretty good and on point, but man, it was, uh, some of my shooting wasn't the best and, and just, you know, it was, it was just kind of, it was definitely pretty interesting. They were switched on for sure. And I've always heard that and everyone will, you know, you'll tell everyone that and no one ever gets it until they finally go over there and do it themselves. But that was a lot of fun. Yeah, those deer are so humbling. They're so good at catching you. And then, I mean, you can do everything right and execute a perfect shot, and it should be a dead animal. And those things are just flat get out of the way of your arrow. They are so quick. Oh, man. Those, yeah. those, those quick twitch muscle fibers, they just get out of the way of arrows. Like, you can watch mm-hmm. it on video and watch those things spin and duck and wheel. And so, you know, yeah, they – uh they they really highlight highlight um, the stock. They really get you good at the stock and not cheating anything. And then, like you say, when you're the shooter, um, it's probably it's really good for your guiding. I bet too. It's just that personal experience. And then 
it's so tough to make an archery shot. Like what we're taking on is one of the more difficult endeavors to try to shoot these wild animals with a bow. And so getting mm-hmm. out there and being able to do it for, for days on end, uh, you know, it just kind of reminds you of that and gets you ready to get your clients ready to try to create sure. opportunities and create success. But those things humble me too, man. I missed two of them this year in Hawaii over there. Uh, I did end up getting yep. one, but both of them just flat got out of the way of my arrow but it also made me pay attention to more details. I had like a little rattle going in my quiver. Mm. I finally found out what it was. Is it was one of the blades loose in one of my broadheads that was kind of oh. making a rattle. But you got to make sure all your stuff is so quiet out there. Yeah, like, again, that away. attention to detail. And maybe that's why those two jumped my string or maybe they would have jumped it anyways. But that was just like you said, you wish you would have practiced more before you go. Like when you get there – it, it's uh it's always something that it's like oh man just um it seems like mm-hmm. if you can pay attention to the details before you get there uh you're so much better off but yeah you know it's it was really quite interesting like you say just the whole they're so fast you know um they're, they're just switched on um you i was we were going along following this big group that was moving and there was like a little doe bedded underneath the tree and the guy turned around that was uh, that we were with was like, hey, you want to shoot a doe? And I was like, yeah, I want to shoot a doe. I need some meat, man. I haven't gotten anything. So I snuck up there, and I'm thinking, man, okay, 50 yards, and I got to 30. I used a big tree to, to like, put in between us. And as, like, she started to move or knew something was up, and I came to full draw and came out from behind the tree, and all of a sudden, like, what I thought was one doe there end up being like 27 does underneath the tree they all exploded out and i mean mine was probably 50 yards away and one little one stood up and was like what's going on and i shot that one so thank god there was that many (laughs) 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 that there was that many of them there that was you know hidden underneath those trees you know that they it was unbelievable how many like you said we could I could totally execute a perfect stock, what I thought was, but then be blown by all these other deer that were hidden in the brush by those. So that was, that was an interesting, um, that was an interesting thing. You know, I'm not used to that many deer in a group. Um, but man, uh, one of the issues, you know, I, I kind of kept, you know, cause we were, you know, we were over there some of the time we were with Robin who, you know, um, and, uh, a few of the other guys had some other folks, but man, some we, we hunted so many different parcels of in different terrain that, you know, some was really thick, some not so thick. And it was, uh, that was pretty interesting to do that. But, um, yeah, it, it really helped me define, you know, kind of go through my gear and figure out what really works and what doesn't work for there. It seemed like. Well, and just like you stated at the beginning, it just sharpens your skills so much, too. You get so Mm -hmm. much opportunity. You know, there's so many deer out there. And then, you know, like you were talking about, there's so many different, like, habitats that you hunt, you know, all the way from, you know, open stuff that sits down on the ocean that's more open prairie grass that may be eaten down with a couple sparse trees to in the thick cover. And, And some of that country... It's not very conducive to killing them. You get in that thick stuff. It gets tough to hunt when they're bedded down. But it just improves your skills so much 
and you're still hunting so much, and so it like sharpens your skills and your instincts. And and just like your doe that you ended up shooting, it, it's always like a deer that you didn't see. Or like I had this beautiful thirty inch buck right in front of me over the ridge, scraping his horns, just perfect scenario. And, you know, I was able to creep up to the ridge, and now I'm just getting – he's going to be under 40 yards, 35 yards, scraping his horns. And I had a doe, like, walk down the ridge and practically walk into me just as I'm trying to, like, finish the stock and get my shot, you know, and blows up the whole scenario. So it's like anything that can go wrong will out there, and you're just trying to remember it all and just uh, store it away in your hard drive and then I I just think it comes into play when you're hunting other species in other places. You know, it just sharpens your instincts. But, yeah, man, it's so fun out there uh, trying to test our skills against the different species like that in those different habitats. I just have a riot doing that. Yeah, I need, I'm, I just – I told some of the guys, well – I hope you I hope you like me because I'm coming back whether you want me to or not. So <laughs> it's it's gonna I have to come back. So. It gets in yeah, your blood, doesn't it? Yeah, this year we well, it's such a, a great it's such a great time period, and you know I think didn't Yin you guys put in for those mouflon tags, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, we hunted the mouflon this year. It's really fun. Yeah, that would be that would be a lot of fun to go over there and and do that so who knows maybe i'll have to try and do that next year or whatnot oh dude you have to yeah those mouflon sheep are pretty fun they just live in the like the nastiest country that hawaii has to offer and so it's a bunch of that lava rock which i'm sure you got to hunt for some access to some of that country is pretty gnarly um Mm -hmm. it's amazing how tough it is to walk around out there with the lava rock isn't it yeah yeah it was like say we got into some patches of that yes and there was we got into so many different you know, areas there. Uh, but you know, I, yeah, I would like to get over there because I've experienced, you know, um, the big Island Maui just in, in, in Kauai, I have not been over to Lanai or Molokai or any of that. So, you know, I'd like to get over and, and see some of those other places, but it, it's quite the diverse, um, landscape there pretty pretty amazing it is amazing and um a totally different gear setup right like i've never sweat so much in my entire life i've never drank so much water as i do over there with the humidity i just sweat it out yeah you know we i guess it wouldn't be my first time just because of my experience down on the baja peninsula guiding sheep in 90 95 degree weather and so it's hotter than heck down there but yeah, it definitely was. Though it, it it was pretty humid though. Mexico was pretty dry. So, um, but it it uh, that was that was not super pleasant. That's for sure. Um, yeah, that was a little tough to deal with. Yeah, it's not bad mornings and evenings and things, but direct sunlight or if you're waiting out of stock or like where we were hunting, you know, it's the hottest time of the year too, and that sun just radiates off that rock there. And so, mm. like, I oh, got yeah. back to Montana and I was running in 90 degree heat, and it was nothing compared to what it was like out there. <laughs> and yeah. you know, usually like uh, 32 ounces will get me through a day. 50 ounces is a good day of water. You know, um, maybe a little bit more if I'm really working hard but out there i mean i'm bringing you know 100 ounces of water and i'm adding water every single day that i'm out you just got to keep the water running through you but yeah that that lasts me a month in montana dang near you know so it's just amazing it's like a 
it's it's a different kind of danger, and it sounds like you run into that hunting down on the Baja too, where it's really hot, heat stroke, dehydration. It's just a different set of challenges that you have to keep mm-hmm. in mind and be aware of. Because man, that heat stroke that takes you down, you know. Or, you know, I I call it exhaustion sickness. I don't know what it is, but pushing really hard and in really tough conditions. And I've seen people where it make themselves sick or almost throwing up and. Um, sure. dizzy and things and so I just something a guy's got to be aware of out there because you get hooked on hunting those things and you end up going so hard all day long and just got to make sure you got those fluids going in but that's like any place we hunt yeah well it's it's interesting getting back to Kodiak it's super dry here this summer and now coming to the fall season I mean it's it's really dry up there I think we've only had a handful since Man, I don't know, late June, mid-June or something, late June. There's only been a couple of uh, – um, there's only been a, a few days of rain and not hard days of rain. And so it's ultra dry. Our streams are super low. So up in the high country, I was up uh, um, scouting the other day, and – Man, a lot of the places were really, really dry. We found a couple places of water, so it's kind of like one of those things where we went up and actually took our goat. I mean, we had, you know, like six four-liter um, bladders of water wow. just because we weren't sure what we were going to run into. And I had four days of food, and there was four of us. I had a couple helpers there. And um, so it was just kind of like, you know, we all had a bunch of water going up in there and of course we find water and so i like to haul water to water so um, <laughs> it's kind of what i like doing so it's just a good workout is all it is it really is so. i find myself doing that a lot because yeah you just can't tell where the water's at and same thing with hunting these high country muleys a lot of the best spots are void of water the the muleys don't need to come down to water they get enough through their food source and so yeah i'm that same way and water is so dang heavy you know and to pack yeah. it all the way up there and it just kills you when you find it, you know, when you pack it all the way yeah. up there. But uh, at least you're prepared, and you just can't live up there without water. It's not like you can go up there with a day's worth of water. You know, you got to come all the way down, so you got to be prepared. So I'm looking at that same thing, you know, this season is you're just looking at where you can get water at, where you can refill, the last place to fill your water so you're not packing it all the way in there. But it's sure. there's definitely a lot of strategy to it, and – I'm sure with you, when you have your clients you're responsible for, you know, it looked like you had a couple packers. Like you got a whole team of guys you're responsible for. Uh, you know, one four liter bladder doesn't cut it. No, no. And the thing is, even if there is water, like you see some down in a bowl before, you know, and I've been sheep hunting and goat hunting, like I'll tell guys, I'm like, hey, here's the deal. We're going to haul some of this water because if we get up on this ridge line and we're watching this ram or this goat, and I can see him, and I happen to look over. Like, we can't get him that day, but I can happen to look over, and there is a spot to throw my camp down. I'm going to camp right there where I can, you know, just peek over the ridge and watch him. And sometimes if dropping down several hundred feet, you may be exposing yourself to other rams or goats or other deer, whatever it may be you're hunting, to go down and get water. Even if I do have a packer there, it's like that's his job to go get water or whatever. You're, you may blow that animal out because here you are up on the ridge line and other ones came in and they you know so i like to just be prepared at all times and i'll just move at a little slower pace um because i'm going heavy and that's why i train and expect my guys to train and because i guess what we're coming in 
heavy and we're going to go out even heavier because we're prepared. So it's just, that's just a no brainer to me. I can't stand guys that, you know, some guys just think they're tough. Yeah. I don't need any water. No, I'm not going to, I'll figure it out. I don't need this. I don't need that. Well, yeah, you may not, but you're going to screw up your hunt potentially, you know, and you're going to be the one traveling throughout the night, getting back to your camp. That was hours away. You know, when I'm the one just sitting there with my camp and actually get, you know, I may be heavy, but I'm probably going to get way more rest on the hunt than they will because they're going to be going up and down, up and down or miles back towards their camp every night. So for for me personally, you know, and in some of my spots, there are places that are pretty good designated camping spots because you're not going to go any further than a certain place, you know. But for the most part, I don't mind hauling a little bit of water because I know I've got it. You know, and I know I've got my food. I know I've got my shelter, so it's no big deal. I mean, where we killed our goat, we literally drugged the goat carcass off over, a, you know, into a big ravine to get it out of the area because we were going to camp like 40 yards from there, you know. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of nice just being able to do that. We had a nice relaxing <laughs> evening butchering and putting up camp and got a nice rest, and off we went in the morning. So, you know. It's amazing how much energy it saves. Like you – you say you go in heavy, but being able to 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 bivy whack out or bivy sack out, like no matter where you end up, you always have all the supplies you need. You got your camp, your food, your water, and mm-hmm. you can just like uh, sleep with the bucks or travel with the bucks. And it seems like I do a combination of um, a lot of times, you know, I'll hike up and then. Like you say, a designated camping spot. I know a designated high mountain spot where I'll want to ditch my camp and ditch my stuff and I'll hunt from there. But a lot of times if I'm trying to locate game, like being Mm -hmm. able to travel with everything you need and just sleep off a ridgeline or sleep down in a low somewhere, it's so advantageous and actually saves energy because like you you get more rest and, and those miles back and forth from camp or from a base camp usually those base camps they have to be so much lower on the mountain to find a prime camping spot and so you're just putting so many miles back and forth and less sleep it just wears you out it's better to do it once with your camp and be able to travel and hunt with it a lot of times so it sounds like that's that's a lot of times your approach when you're doing these mountain hunts yeah and and you know in some of the areas we're pretty fortunate here like on kodiak we don't have too much bear issue knock on wood but there's places up on the mainland you know and maybe down there in montana where bears are an issue and i know plenty of people have gotten their camps torn up because they're gone from them and bears know when you're there and when you're not there they can smell if you're there or not and so uh i just like having it with me because then i know it's it's everything's safe you know um and we're good to go instead of wondering oh, i sure hope my camp's not torn up uh, when i come back because that's definitely ended a few of my friends hunts before i've never had my camps torn up knock on wood uh, at least by a bear but a deer did one time but uh, other than that um uh, but no it's just kind of nice knowing what you have you know yeah what kind of weight do you like to travel with on these hunts for your clients and for yourself like um and you train well, for this I heavy weight. Yeah, I wouldn't really say I like to travel with the weight. <laughs> it always yeah, seems right. like, I mean, gosh, it, you know. Wheat, uh, really weight depends. is such an equalizer, just like elevation, isn't it? It's just a killer. You oh, could go yeah. anywhere with no weight, but you stick that pack on your back, and all of a sudden you got to grind. I, yeah, I was just – I'm right in the heart of getting my pack ready for like a five-day or so. I was just wondering what you travel with. You know – 
here's the thing, like with me, I've got a, you know, Swro 95 scope. I've got, uh, <laughs> I've got a Sony a seven camera with two different lenses. I've know, got the 24 same to thing. 70 yeah. and 100 to 400. Yep. I've got, you know, other uh, sat phones and in reaches. And I mean, it seems like I can't go anywhere without my pack. A, a day pack weighs 40 pounds, 45 pounds to me. And then a, you know, if I'm hauling food and for four or five days, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm solid 65. And if I've got 10 days, I'm probably like pushing 80. I have a real bad issue of packing more, like way too much food. So it's like a, a mental thing. Like, oh, I'll never starve. I could be in there for a month. And uh, even though I couldn't last a month in there in terms of food wise, but I just, I like having like food and because it's like food for thought, you know, I'm like, oh, ooh, I'm good. You know, it's just a mental thing. I have so much food if I want to eat. And but thank God my uh, metabolism slowed, slowed down a little bit because it used to be really, really bad. And I just had to eat so much. But now I, I don't have to eat as much. So but, uh, you know, I, I would say if I was going in with five days, it's probably it's probably got to be around 60 pounds, I would think somewhere in there. Yep. Um, now, but th I'm not, like I said, if I wasn't hauling, if I was just, you know, hauling a smaller little point and shoot camera, then, you know, that, that knocks down quite a bit of weight right there too in glass. Um, and you know, if I had a smaller spot, you know, guys can, like you know, my buddy was just here and he's a trad bow dude and very effective and was just down on a, uh, goat hunt and he shot a, um, he shot several mountain goats with his trad bow here on Kodiak. But, uh, you know, he is all about ultralight. He's got everything ultralight, even though he's tough as nails. He gets the latest and greatest and baddest and all this stuff. So he's ultra, ultralight, um, which I'm a mixture of, okay, I want to get as lightweight as possible on certain things, but then there's also things that I just like using better and it's easier to use or more comfortable. And so I just don't care. Sometimes I'm just a big dumb mule that throws in whatever and I don't really care. Um, and when I come out, I definitely don't care. It's just going to be heavy, you know, and it is what it is. So, but I think, you know, if you're in like those hunts where you're really having to hustle and put on a lot of vert, then it is smart to, you know, condense down and really try to go as light as possible, you know? Yeah. You're an animal. Yeah. That's a lot of weight, but I'm with you. You want to take pictures and you want to, so then you've got your camera and like you say, you've got your 100 to 400 lens. Well, then you need one to get your close shots and, um, mm -hmm. yeah. And then the 95 Swarovski, they don't make that thing light. And then you can't get a lightweight tripod or that thing isn't steady. No. So all yeah, of a tripod. sudden, yeah, my, my day pack gets so heavy with scope and tripod and, uh, camera and lenses and, um, the whole deal. So I am with you there, but it, I do try to take a minimalist attitude to, and, um, try to cut my weight yeah. down as low as I can and, and I do need a scope everywhere I go, but you know I can I can make do in the mountains with a a smaller scope, you know, when I'm yeah. backpacking around. And so there's a few adjustments I can make, but yeah, I'm just fine tuning my pack now, uh, looking at it and taking things out and putting things in, working on my backcountry menu. Usually I can mm -hmm. do about a pound and a half per day does me about right, which is usually around 2,500, 3,000 calories, something like that. Yeah. But um, it's always yeah, a, always a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the whole thing. Like I'm trying to get better. Okay. I need to start 
learning exactly what my body needs and what it doesn't need and just taking a little bit, you know, I try to take as high calorie type of food as I can for the weight of it and everything. And, but, you know, I just came from a background, you know, just throwing stuff in and, and it is what it is. And there's some guys that are so good. And I imagine you're extremely good at this of really knowing what you can get by with and not, and just really honing your weights and whatever. But, you know, like say my shelters, you know, I like the Florida shelters and I feel like, okay, I, I'm here. I've just got like a pound and a half or two pound, you know, shelter. And it's, you know, rather than a four pound tent or, you know, things of that nature, you know, and try to go light on all those types of things. But, I tend to just take up whatever weight I just saved and then I just put more food in. So I did, I'm really still going at about the same weight. <laughs> right. Well, we're all individuals and we all have our own process, you know? Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, um, sure. yeah, it, it works for all of us. That's the only thing that matters. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, those mountain hunts have to be fun for you, but it's, it's also, you got to make sure that you've had a, you have a good menu too, because you're mm -hmm. doing so many of these mountain hunts back to back as I stack a lot of these back to back, and uh, you got to have food that that looks appetizing and is appealing up there. Uh, easy. I don't like much mess. I don't want to clean up or anything or do right. dishes. You know, I don't want to have to cook forever, or make a gourmet meal. But you got to have stuff that tastes good up there too. Yeah, you know, some people are pretty picky, <clears throat> and I mean, you know, I. I feel like if you get if some people are too picky, they say, oh, they don't want to eat freeze dried meals and this. Well, they they just aren't hunting hard enough, I don't think, because <laughs> it's it, I mean, it, when you're up there and, and 99 percent of my guys, my hunters, they don't they don't bitch motor complain, you know, of what they eat. They don't care. And, you know, they're, they're really good. But there's some guys. Well, I don't eat that that mountain house stuff or this freeze dried stuff. It's like, well, when was the last time you had one? Was it like in vietnam or was it like in the past 10 years because they're pretty good now you know and i i just kind of let them like the night before we go out i let them kind of pick pick whatever brand i've got of meals and whatever sounds good to them and most of them are pretty good you know and so like for me i'll you know if i'm taking whatever type of freeze-dried meals most of them are you know i like to add for you know i'll add like a some sort of noodles or instant mashed potatoes to them to kind of get me some extra fill. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I just, I just like to eat enough. You know, I might, my, my, one of my biggest prize, uh, accomplishments I felt was my first year of sheep guiding. I was up guiding for an outfitter and we, and I guided, uh, seven sheep hunts in a row wow. and it was from like, you know, August 10th to October 10th. And, uh, at the end, everyone was sitting there, weighing in there's multiple guides there and they were all weighing they lost 10 pounds 15 one guy lost 20 pounds so i got on the scale <laughs> and i've been griped at, at the beginning of the season for taking too much food <laughs> by the outfitter and i get on the scale and i gained four pounds and i was like yes <laughs> i was so proud of myself everyone was just like looking so just worn down and i was like healthy feeling because i was like spending the extra you know, putting the extra weight in my pack and actually eating well while I was out there. And so I, I was like super pumped. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes a difference in how you feel and how you perform. Like uh, being at that calorie deficit, it just takes it out of you. And, and a lot of these hunts, 
you know, you're on a calorie deficit no matter what. But mm-hmm. what a great job you did that season. Seven sheep hunts in a row. You should have been down 10, 15 pounds. But, yeah, you just had enough food going in. Uh, it's so important in how you feel. Yeah, you know, I, it, and that was just adding a little bit more to my breakfast, a little, you know, another snack each day and adding ramen noodles to my to my uh, mountain house. So it made a difference. And my, and my attitude was a lot better, that's for sure. Oh, I can't wait. So. And my my menu looks pretty good this year. I just got done making a bunch of axis jerky from Hawaii from oh, uh, yeah, yeah, axis yeah. deer. Oh my gosh, some teriyaki stuff. It is so good. I think I can just yeah. live off that for the season. So I'm pretty pumped. I got a good menu coming up. What Brian, what's your like go to meals like your dinner meals are you using mountain house are you using some other brand or what do you yeah so so you're instantly not gonna like me but i don't do the freeze dried i just um i've ate so many of them over the years and hunt so much that i just don't like uh it seems like a lot of times i can't finish them or it doesn't sound appealing so like i've just come up with my own menu that i run but i like i dehydrate like my own burger like taco meat and things with salsa in it yeah and I'll yep, dehydrate yep. that, and I throw it in with noodles, and then I've got like some some general sauce sauce that I bring, and so I'll kind of mix that in with some peppers that I've dehydrated, and kind of do my own meal that way. I do it with noodles. Nice. I do it with rice, uh, and then mm-hmm. wrap it in a tortilla. I yeah. do. I do like granola and dried berries with powdered mm-hmm. milk in it, and add water yep. to that. Um, and then I just do a lot of snack stuff. I feel like I snack a ton throughout the day. And so like, I've got different kinds of trail mixes. I've got jerky. I've got, you know, fruit leathers that I've made. I've got, um, you know, and so I just try to mix it up and, and try to have it appetizing. But yeah, I, I am a little, I'm a picky eater. I don't know what it is, man. I mean, I just, but that's, that's just the way, you know, everyone has a different body. Everyone has a different, you know, diets and, and, you know, I've heard of a few guys, one of my hunters, I think this spring, you know, he freeze dries a lot of his meals and or uh, dehydrates. And, it, you know, I always think at some point, you know, once I get my shop, I guess it's a house, but my shop all set up, you know, I'm going to have this freeze dry or, or dehydrator set up. I'm going to do all this really cool stuff and be this really neat Heidi homemaker type of uh, guy that's going to do all these extra little things and um, I, I'm getting to that point. I just haven't had the time. My excuses, I guess. But uh, no, that, that's great. I've heard of a few guys doing that, and that sounds like a pretty awesome way to go about it. Yeah, it seems to work really good for me, and it's appetizing. Mm-hmm. And I just try to make it low cleanup. So anytime I'm doing noodles or like, I'll run Bear Creek soup and throw a bunch of that burger. And the burger is so light when it's dehydrated. Or like I say, this jerky is so good, like I can tear oh, that yeah. off and put that in a meal too. And so it just sounds good to me tonight, wrap up some rice and some meat and a tortilla, you know, and and uh, it's pretty good eats. But yeah, no, I'm with you. You got to have the time too. And half the time, you know, as it gets later in the season, like I make all this preparation and get prepared and do everything, you know, uh, get all these meals ready. But once I get in the heart of the season, once I get in September, I'm like, yeah, just throw some stuff in the truck or throw some yeah. stuff in the pack and I'll survive. Like I just don't have mm-hmm. enough time to prepare or get everything ready. Like I'm just trying to get on the hunt. I'm trying to get out there. You know, I sure. I know I can make do. So I, I will do freeze-dried meals in, in those. You know, I've got a, a tote yeah, full of it's stuff. It's kind of nice to, to – yeah. 
it not, you know, there's been years where I've had over like 230 of them and it's like ridiculous. So <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's nice to not have to do that for sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to like say, just mix it up a little bit. If I'm going on shorter amount of day stuff, then I feel like I don't have to take all like freeze dried meals and whatnot. But, uh, um, yeah, just kind of, I guess just all depends and whatnot, but yeah, I hate carrying all the, the excess trash and whatnot. Some of those freeze dried meals, I dump them out, put them in Ziplocs and just kind of reuse one of the, uh, the mountain house bags or whatever type of bag you're using. And I mean, it's just a matter of condensing all your waste and everything down. Oh, that's a good way to go. Yeah. yeah. Well, in tortillas, they make those mountain houses so much better too. When you can wrap them in a tortilla, you ever bring those with you? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 We used to haul like bagels and it was like, it, it was the most bulkiest thing you could haul was bagels. And, you know, when we go in for 10 day sheep hunts and then I'm like, nah, I think I'm going to just haul tortillas because it will go flat in, in your backpack <laughs> and it's fine, you know, but uh, yeah, those, yeah, no, it's great. Um, yeah, for sure. And I'm right there for, I like the trail mixes and, you know, I have a mixture of bars for guys and everything. I have a huge, just a, you know, totes and totes full of snacks from guys and a thousand dollar snack bill the other day when I went and bought stuff at the store for some of my goat hunts. And, um, but I try to just stick with some more nuts and dried fruits and stuff of that nature rather than just eating a bunch of candy bars and things of that. Even, even having just a bunch of the other trail bars it kind of gets a little much so it's kind of nice to stick to fruits and nuts a lot of the time if you can get by with it yeah i'm with you there um well yeah you got some exciting mountain hunts coming up you know so i've got a few more goat hunts to do um you know well i guess uh, in total helping out and doing some other ones i mean i've got like 10 more goat or nine more goat hunts to do and then, wow um, then I've got some bear hunts. Some on the it's a peninsula brown bear season, so I have to go to the peninsula, then um, over to then back uh, to Kodiak to do bear hunts, and then um, which bears will wrap up for me by like November eighth, and then uh, we'll switch to deer hunts, and then I'll, I'll finish up by December fourth or fifth, somewhere right in there. I typically do one hunt right after Thanksgiving. So, and that's, that'll be pretty much finished up by then. And I'd like to, if I can squeeze in a goat hunt for myself, I'd like to go do my archery, my November, early December archery mountain goat hunt. So I'd really try to make an effort for that this, this, uh, winter, but I, I, I don't, I don't really have a whole lot. I've been focusing on some business stuff here, uh, and working on my shop and house that I got last year. So I've been doing lots of work on that. That's been taking up a lot of my time. So, you know, I, I, I've got to go back and try to chase a stone sheep for, uh, next year. I didn't get one last year where I went. So I'm going back this next year um, in, in August. And so that right now is really my only thing I have planned. I really need to kind of get off my butt and plan something else because, uh, after we went to Azerbaijan and Nepal, those were like my bucket list, like mountain hunts. And man, when I did it, it was like, yeah, wow, I need to, now what, you know, kind of for extreme mountain hunts, I should say, yes. you know, and so there's all sorts of fun ones I'd like love to go do, but then there's some of those you just want to continue to 
test yourself and see, you know, and really put yourself through the ringer, I guess. And so it's, um, uh, yeah. So I'd like to like to figure something else out or go back to Azerbaijan or something and go after another Turks. Those are things were a lot of fun. So, um, I don't know I I'm still planning a few things and it seems like I don't have anything going on in my life. And I really look at it and go, Oh yeah, I guess there's quite a bit I got planned, but I forget about it. I, I forget what I'm doing at the end of this week. So I have to really look at the schedule and keep my life in order, you know? Yeah, that's um, congratulations on the house shop. That's got to be a big move for you. And yeah, what an adventurous lifestyle you've built for yourself. Just all these goat hunts that you have and bear hunts and um, and then doing your personal goat hunt. That's just wild. November and December with the deep snow. So challenging. Um, man, it's just awesome to follow along with. And then didn't I see, were you in South America last year? You know, I went, when was that? I don't know if it was last year or year before. Yeah, I went down uh, with a good friend of mine, and um, it was a pretty, <laughs> it was a interesting deal. We had a um, one of the guys we know. He had a museum permit, and so was basically collecting birds and some other mammals and whatnot. Uh, some for his museum, and then also for the museum in Paraguay. And so, and then we were also trying to, uh, dart and capture for tests and whatnot, some Jaguars down there and, uh, did a lot of chasing of Jaguars. Didn't really do much catching of Jaguars, but we caught several mountain lions or Puma and some ocelot and some other things, but they, those were just for doing samples and, um, collaring and whatnot but uh but lots of collecting of birds and and some other small mammals and whatnot that uh he had on permit for for a museum um so that was pretty 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 very interesting to say the least uh, i've always been a little uh yeah, yeah it's just kind of taking me back because we it was really quite the expedition expedition of of like an old collection of for like a smithsonian type of museum you know it was a pretty amazing um i can't remember if we were there for three weeks or a month i really it was a while um traveling around and um yeah it was pretty pretty uh, amazing adventure to say the least i've never been around so many crocodiles and there was a few anacondas to deal with and it was uh it was quite the deal <laughs> to say the least because we did a lot of uh, some of the capturing was at night and, and trying to get some of these animals or whatnot was, uh, yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it was interesting to say the least. There's some of it I feel like we shouldn't talk about, but we did have all of our permits, <laughs> you know, aligned, you know, and so it was like just there to be there and took a bunch of photos and some video. And so that was a lot of fun. It really, really was uh, quite the spectacular adventure to say the least so it's it's uh you know i one thing i'm not super good at and i think some of the companies i deal with probably very much wish i was better at was like telling better stories and and kind of getting it out there what all's happening because people i you know you, you kind of forget that there are people that are sitting there in their office or working 
a job they're not super stoked about that really do enjoy following along and getting to see what we're up to, you know, and you do a great job on your podcast, Brian. And so like, you're really informative. So when, when these people that are listening actually get their moment to be out there for whether it be the weekends or the week off or whatever it may be, you know, they want to make sure and capitalize on all the information they've learned but also just taking up time and, and, and just, you know, kind of occupying their mind while they're doing their job. They're not super stoked on sometimes. And so, like, I feel like, man, I really need to get better at kind of telling some of these folks because it's like you tell some of your friends or, you know, like, man, tell me about that. But it's kind of it, – it I mean, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but when you've gone and done a lot of these things i mean i just feel like there's a certain point where you feel like you just sit there and you're just bragging to people about all this stuff you get to go do you know and it doesn't that doesn't sit super super well with me you know and that's all that people do is want to tell everyone how how much stuff they get to do and how sucky their life is it's that they don't get to go do it so it's a it's a mixture of like trying to figure out how to do that in a manner to where you don't really seem like you're coming across as you, you get you know, that's just all you get to go do is a lot of fun stuff and and get too cocky about it, you know. Yeah, it's very well said. It's um yeah, well you're so humble and and it just becomes your reality. You've created this life and it's been slow too. Like it's taken years of putting in your work, being a guide and working your way up and um so yeah, it just seems like a uh seems like it's almost normal for you, but yeah, what a wild experience down there in South America. Just so world's different from Kodiak and yeah like um yeah you know there there's just um these guys and whether you know they're at a job or you know people have so much um uh, travel time in these cities too oh sure you know yeah, yeah, just yeah. just having to get to and from work they have hours to burn and when you can listen to something that's entertaining or you know you you connect with somebody's personality or you listen to something that that you really have passion for you, you almost like transpose yourself to their world a little bit. And so, yeah, like I find myself like I love looking at your social media and your stories and what you're up to. And and um, like I, I feel like I get a glimpse into it, you know, by by seeing that. And it's just amazing mm -hmm. to me. Like I sent you a message the other day with your IG goat story like, um, you know, I, I watched that thing and I was just so fired up at the footage you put together, your patience on the stock you know how stoked your client was i just thought it was amazing and just gives me a glimpse into your world and so like we are humble and i don't want to brag about this this life that that i live or brag about all the cool things i get to do because i'm so fortunate that i you know that yeah. i've been able to create my own construction business and this podcast and outdoor industry so i'm so fortunate that i do feel a bit a bit of that guilt when I'm posting things on a Thursday and I'm out fishing or if I'm posting, you know, or like I'm out yeah. hunting for a week, I do have a bit of guilt that I struggle with too is I, I don't want to be bragging to guys that I, you know, that I'm better than them or that I get to do all these cool things, but I do want to share it with them, you know? And so sure. It, well, it is I can, I can mind. tell you straight up, Brian, you are, I think when I met you a few years back, you were like one of the main guys that I can recall that has one of the very, very best ways of articulating things coming across people in like the least amount of braggadocious possible manners. Cause you do a great job of that. And it's a great, it's something that 
that most people I think need to kind of model uh, off of because like I said, you do a great job of just showing how stoked you are and how excited and you're trying to teach people and, and tell people things. You're not trying to just tell them what you did. You're trying to help people. And so there, that's a, a you, you, you've uh, come up with a, or well, you haven't come up with it. It's just the way you are. You know, that was the thing when I first met you, uh, Montana was, you know, I could just tell you're just stoked and <laughs> you just enjoy it a lot. So you do a great job of it. So I don't think you have to worry about it. I kind of struggle a little bit with it. So I had to, you know, it's just one of those, one of those things where we've all been around guys who don't have any problem, uh, <laughs> coming across that way. And so it's, uh, you know, it's just more so looking at those guys going, man. I don't want to sound like that, you know, um, but uh, regardless, no, you, you do a great job. So, yeah, well, thanks so much, Cole. That's a huge compliment. And likewise, I think you do the same. But, um, man, it's just amazing to catch up to you. I'm really excited to see what you got going on this season. And, um, man, I'm, I'm always stoked to sit down and talk with you. You have so much passion for hunting and uh, do so much to promote bow hunting in a positive light. How can guys get a hold of you uh, and uh, the guiding services you provide? Well, so they can either uh, email me at cole at adventuremountainhunts.com. That's a big one, cole at adventuremountainhunts.com, or just reach me on Instagram. I think it's like cole underscore ak underscore Kramer. Um, they can direct message me on there, or uh, yeah, just shoot me an email or or whatever so yeah and make sure to follow his instagram he's on a bunch of adventures this year uh nine or ten goat hunts a bunch of grizzly bear hunts your blacktail hunts look amazing too man um man I, oh yeah i've got it's gonna go be a great that. year up here yeah it's gonna be a solid year there's some great bucks we did really well last year and we had just another mild winter and so some guys are putting down some great bucks this year so uh yeah it's pretty awesome so yeah, it's, you got to get up here and do that. So oh, I, do. We, I think we talked about that last time after we got off the podcast and, uh, yeah, you, you, you need to, they're still sitting here, so you need to get over here. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to plan it for next year and I'll get a hold of you and, um, yeah we'll, yeah, we'll get something set up, but yeah, I really want to go hunt those things. And man, you're turning up some really good heavy ones too. It's just amazing. Some of the bucks you're turning out, you know, it's amazing. I think if you get in places and just take your time in glass and, and turn down other bucks. Right. And, uh, a lot of guys, I think that show up here that aren't used that, uh, aren't used to hunting them. Uh, they, they just think, Oh, well, we'll, we'll just take this three by or whatever it may be. Well, they, you know, there's some pretty nice looking bucks here, so you just got to hunt with them. And, and, and it doesn't really necessarily matter where you're at on the island. If you just put your time and effort in, you can turn up some good bucks. Man, that's so cool. It sounds like so much fun. Um, yeah, well, I'll hit you up on that. Thanks again for your time, man. I know it's your busy season. Um, good hunting this season for you and your clients, and uh, can't wait to follow along. All right, Brian. Well, hey, thank you. Really appreciate the time, and best of luck to you guys. All right. Sounds good. Yep. Thanks. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Oh, another fun conversation with Cole. Um, man, just a like a, a great human being. I, I just really enjoy talking to him and such a great hunter. He's so introspective about situations and, and uh, situational awareness and um, just really fun to talk to him. And uh, I love how 
humble Cole is, you know, like, um, you know, he's, he has, uh, you know, he, he's guided for, he's got everything in the world to be, uh, um, to be proud of and which he is, but he's just such a humble guy, you know, with his skill set and, um, yeah, I, I really ad- admire that and, uh, you know, shoot to have that same that same mindset, you know, as as I'm walking around planet or two. But I just really enjoyed the conversation with him. He's a great hunter and a great guy. And thanks to him for taking time out of his schedule and recording with me, especially when he's right in the heart of his season. And I did see the other day one of his clients just harvested a monster brown bear. Um just incredible. I I think at the beginning of the podcast I did say grizzly bear, which they they are brown bears off Kodiak. It's the same genetic bear. Uh, they just uh, the the Kodiak brown bear or the brown bear in general has evolved. They you know they're where they can eat fish or have fish in their diet. And so throughout the years of evolution, bears that have fish in their diet tend to grow bigger and then pass those genetics out. And so brown bears are just like gigantic grizzly bears that grow on the coast. But I think I did say grizzly bear in the podcast, but Cole is nice enough. He didn't correct me. <laughs> you're you're always just like uh, on a podcast. You're saying what comes to your mind. And sometimes, it, sometimes I'll listen back and it's painful when I mess up a word because I'm trying to think too quick or I say the wrong thing. You can't ever have it back. Or I guess you can. I guess... It's just about correcting yourself right there in that time and moment. Realize you make that mistake, correct yourself, and move on. But anyway, it's just uh, uh, thinking about you know the, the inner workings of a podcast, but no big deal. Uh, Cole Kramer is just a great guest. Really appreciate him being on. And uh, also want to thank our, our sponsors, Sitka Gear, just make amazing gear. As I'm into the late season now with cold and negative temperatures, uh, I, I just appreciate their layering systems, and it just keeps me out there longer, keeps me safe, and keeps me more effective, you know, for harvesting more animals. So thanks to Sitka. I also want to thank Matthews Bows, just building the absolute best bows on the planet. Just got that new VXR. What a shooter! Uh, I am so impressed with this bow. So, yeah, I just can't wait to run some more arrows through it, let you guys know what I think. But, um, man, oh, man, they built a quieter, more forgiving bow than the Verdix, which I didn't think was possible. The Verdix is the my favorite bow I've ever owned. Uh, so, uh, yeah, thanks to Matthews and great job. You guys are outdoing yourselves. Um, just an amazing bow you guys have built. And with that, um, yeah, trying to trying to work out some things. It's just been um, it's been busy. It's been such a great season, guys. I mean, I'm just coming off a hunt with my family and um, a hunt for my own mule deer here in my home state of Montana. Uh, I'm gonna get another podcast recorded on late season muleys. I like to get them out, you know, right at the time where everybody's hunting them. So I might be just a touch late getting this podcast out, but you know, I, I also, you know, I. I think really clearly about late season muleys when I'm hunting late season muleys and there's things that come to me throughout those days of experience that I get out there. And so, uh, I, you know, I should have got it out of touch earlier. I messed up, but at least I can tell you guys how my season went and then also give you tips for hunting mule deer. And, you know, I think a lot of these things can be revisited as well. And, and also I know a lot of you guys have bow hunts or have hunts that are coming up for mule deer as well. You know, there's still a lot of good, mule deer hunting through the month of November and December. So yeah, anyways, I'm going to get that out, um, get it recorded here in the next day or two. 
and uh, get that done. And yeah, we just got some great guests. Uh, Eastman's staff is really working good to line up some good guests. I've been working hard, reaching out to guys, uh, finding some new guests that aren't on, you know, every podcast, but guys that are really interesting that I want to have, you know, in-depth conversations with. So we got some great ones coming up. I'm really excited at the the few that I've already recorded and the couple that I'm lining up now. So yeah, just excited to release it to you guys. As always, thanks for all the support on the podcast, social media and things. Man, I really appreciate it. I just want to, you know, I always tell you guys, I think I say that on every podcast, just want to keep putting out quality content. But I do. I think about this podcast and I think about you guys all the time and and the information that I can get you guys to 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 make you better, you know, the information that I'd like to hear about, you know, when I'm tuning into a podcast, uh, those, those tips and tactics that, that, you know, turn on that light bulb in your head to give you an idea of a different way to approach or give you a different mindset or give you motivation through it. So I just think it's so cool what we're putting out there and I just want to continue to grow it. And I thank you guys for, um, spreading the word, like, telling your buddies and, um, you know, tagging, tagging your buddies in photos and things and just spreading the word. Like that's how podcasts grow. There's so many of them nowadays that it's tough to separate yourself. And, and I really do think that we put one of the best hunting podcasts out there with some of the best information. So you guys telling your buddies about it and, uh, you know, tagging us in photos and, and, um, Man, it just means the world to me. So, yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. We'll keep getting out good podcasts to you guys and keep this thing rolling. So, um, yeah, that's a wrap. I'm going on. I'll get this solo one recorded to you guys and and, uh, get that out and then um, check in with you guys next week.